Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm my chip ups, man. I got this, yeah. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. Kobe's coin nickname. We have a shortened cast this week for episode 18. It's actually our usual cast for Set the Spread. It is just Danny, myself, and Kobe. We're all here. The other ones are, I don't know, phoning it in today. Boys, you excited for this week? Oh, yeah. Always excited for another card. Uh, this one's going to be awesome. I love kicking it with y'all. Yeah, you, we enjoy you too because you're flying the wall. It just makes it so much easier to dive in deep. So hopefully we can bring you guys a little peace during this crazy election time. Um, I was told by the producer I'm not allowed to talk about it, so I will not. So we'll start off with recapping the ankle lock of the week. We had Dustin Jacoby. Danny and I were both quite confident, and it looked promising. His, his kickboxing played a factor and didn't last long enough to, to really – work those leg kicks like we expected but ko round one two minutes i mean even right in that first minute he he was using those leg kicks and they were just landing no one was i mean justin wasn't checking them it was just an easy win for dustin from beginning to end well it's interesting because i remember when when we were deciding you were talking about how there's no way ledette will be able to check his kicks and although it didn't go long enough for the kicks to like for the game plan to play out the kicks the kicks inevitably caused the TKO. His leg gave in really fast. So it just shows that when you have a kickboxer versus a boxer, those kicks can can always find its way through. So oh, yeah. that moves our ankle lock to four and one. And we have another one for you guys this week. And if you listened in to our 0.5 episodes of Set the Spread, you might have a little inkling on who it's going to be. So always check those out. Moving into last week's card, it was a good one. A lot of finishes, especially on the prelims. We'll start off with the Miles John at Bantamweight. It was a very close set line. Miles John got the KOTK in round three to USC newcomer Kevin Natividad. Dan, I do think we both kind of liked Natividad's chances here. Miles John impressed me. It looked like he was having a lot of fun in there. It looked like the first two rounds and the what lasted of the third were just just fun for him. It was like sparring, but with full power. And he was just piecing up Kevin Natividad until he got that uppercut, which was beautiful, a fun way to kick off the night. He also packs a ridiculous amount of power for 135. That was one thing I took away when I looked at Miles. So then we get into our ankle lock, Dustin Jacoby. We recently touched on it, but he pretty much just pieced Justin Ledet apart on the leg kicks. Danny saw it coming. If you taped even a little bit, you kind of could have seen it coming. It was a clear game plan, and it worked. And you love to see game plans work out. And so Dustin Jacoby is going to continue to move through the light heavyweight division. So this welterweight one, this next fight, actually to me was the biggest domination on the card. But what was weird is it was two guys that really were questioned if they could even be in the UFC. They both had one fight on their record. Both of it went really suspect. Jason Witt fought on like 48 hours notice, I think, making his UFC debut. The only thing I took away from this was that Cole Williams does not belong here. That's it. 
<laughs> that's it. I mean, Jason Witt absolutely rolled him. Like, just ran right through him, got the sub, set it up, and that's it. Moving forward, a middleweight bout, Sean Strickland versus Jack Marshman. The, re- the two things that were fun about this one is, one, for those who are just following Sean Strickland, he had a long layoff, and it was due to a motorcycle accident. So seeing him come back and looking as good as he did, I enjoyed seeing because I've always been a big fan of Sean Strickland, and I thought at, at middleweight as well, he could make a name for himself. Definitely top 15. There was a fun part of that fight where Sean was just, like, yelling at him, like, go down, go down. He, he, he was also having fun, but I think that he really wanted the finish there, and Jack showed some huge toughness. Yeah, that's the second thing I was going to say was that if it was ESPN back in the Fox days, they didn't blur that shit out, but ESPN was blurring it. So every time he swore, they missed the swore and then because you'd hear it and then you just miss, they bleep out the next two seconds or whatever, but it's fun bantering there. And you cannot deny, you can deny Jack Marshman, maybe his skill set, but you cannot deny the man's toughness and, and heart. He sung, hung in there and, and Sean Strickland was piecing him up on the feet. I mean, just, making a clinic out of him. Another one, a recent Tuesday Night Contender Series guy, Adrian Yanez. He was minus 600 going to this bout with Victor Rodriguez. It, people said it will end very fast, and that's exactly what happened. Um, two minutes and 46 second KOTKO. So that's about as fast as it gets. So congrats, Adrian Yanez. I'm excited to see this guy at the Bantamweight division. He doesn't look like he packs a lot of pop, but, dude, he, he's just finishing people left and right. This was and the then, second leg of one of my of my parlay that lost uh, Jacoby Inez and then Bobby Green, but this one was oh, the biggest lock of them all in my head. Yeah, well, and don't you worry, we'll get into that Bobby Green because it's enough to make someone sick. But another one was last week. I don't know if you if you tuned in. Danny decided to go ahead and call some over unders, and he rarely does it. And he called four, and three of them ended up hitting. One of them was this next fight, Chris Gritzmacher versus Alexander Hernandez. The line was set at over under two and a half rounds with the under being plus two, 130. Danny hammered it. Fight lasted less than two minutes. Dan, great prediction. I, I'd love to hear what you thought about not only Alex Hernandez. I mean, we know what Gritzmacher is. He was on Ultimate Fighter. But Alexander Hernandez looked great, looked vicious, and had more fun than anyone in the cage that night. Where does he go? Because his post-fight, just to set it up, his post-fight interview, they mentioned how he rolled Dariush with that flying knee in his debut and kind of got sent up the ladder from there. That one was awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, it couldn't have been better for that under two and a half. Hernandez was everything you said, and also he was focused. I know that at least versus Drew Dober, and his mental approach in the octagon has been suspect since that cowboy knockout. Uh, but this was a really awesome performance from him. And the lightweight division's wide open. I mean, yeah. if you ask me, we don't have a champ. I'd love to see him get a ranked matchup, whether it's a rematch against Cowboy, maybe to get that monkey off his back for Cowboy's last fight. Or, I mean, Cowboy will go forever. Or um, a guy like Gregor Gillespie, who we There's haven't one. seen since the devastating Kevin Lee knockout. Yeah, but. there's one big one for me on there that I think would make for a real fun one in the lightweight. And, again, he's not within title connect, uh, contention. If they did a, a Grand Prix, which I know I believe Charles Oliveira was talking about, 
it, it would be top eight guys max. Um, so I don't see him in that conversation quite yet. What I do see him though is imagine a fight with Drew Dober. Drew Dober's 14 in the lightweight, and that would make for an interesting fight because they have very similar builds and very similar fight styles. So they they fought um, in in May of this year. Drew Dober knocked and him out. Dober knocked him. Yeah, so I thought that was the down, that was the 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 downfall. So mm-hmm. the the thing is, is, I want someone I like Alexander Hernandez. I want him to succeed, and I don't see him getting past Gregor Gillespie. I don't see him getting I, past Drew Dober. Well, here we sit. So maybe Donald again. There's yeah. work for there's work for Alexander Hernandez to do. He's young, which is great. The thing that's not great is how ridiculously stacked that lightweight division is. It's crazy. I mean, you look at the even with Khabib relinquishing his belt and retiring, you still top to bottom. It's just absolute killers. Just makes his dominance even more impressive. It really, it it really, really does. So moving forward, we'll get on to the main card here. We'll start it off with one of the more controversial decisions I've seen in a very long time, and it actually costs you money directly and everyone on the main event challenge. Bobby Green lost to Tiago Moises. I was surprised by that. I really was. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to take anything away from Tiago Moises. He looked a little bit sharper than he did um, in his previous fight, but Bobby Green beat him up. Bobby Green outlanded him. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think over double. Uh, I don't see what these judges are watching. That was Bobby Green's fight. Green had 85 significant strikes to 42 from Moises. There you go. And what was control time, if you have it up? I don't think it entered the It was pretty even. Minute 11, minute 51. Moises had a minute 51 of control time. Okay, yeah, that that just isn't. And they were even in takedowns also. It it was an interesting one. And especially the way the rounds went, I, I really did score it. I think I had 29, 28 green. It was like that one heel hook in, I think, the second round. They scored, like, as a round winner, which made no sense. No. And, and, that's why, and that just continues to go in with the conversation that this sport needs a, a less biased, more unified set of scoring because it's so up for interpretation. It just makes it so tough. With all that being said, Bobby Green did catch the L. Moises did look great. Still surprising nonetheless. Continuing on, Kevin Holland. This one was interesting because he had a last-minute scratch. Charlie Ontivero stepped up. Didn't really work well for him. Two minutes and 39 seconds in, he got subbed. This one, to me, was the biggest mismatch on the card, even more than Giannis. I, I, this one seemed like Kevin Holland was, like, toying around with a high schooler. Definitely. Charlie Ontivero yeah. was in no place being in the cage. Obviously happy that his neck injury is fine and that there's nothing serious about that. I know yeah. it was a scary moment when he got slammed uh, and they had to bring in a whole medical team to that was carry him out. Yeah, Kevin Holland just destroyed him. It was a huge mismatch. Yeah. Those slams are such an important part of the sport, but it, it sometimes can be a scary result. The Rose Nama Yunus fight coming to mind. Moving forward to heavyweight, this one was disappointing for me. I think Mo Green... I didn't want to say he phoned it in or gave up in any means. I mean, he's fighting a massive man. I'm just waiting for the martial artist to beat the athlete because that's what this sport's all about. The whole reason why this sport came to be is because they were trying to figure out which form of martial arts was the best. And that's how the competition came to be. And now you're getting these freak athletes like Greg Hardy, who let's all face it is extremely raw. And he's still managing to beat up these quote unquote mixed martial artists. So 
Again, it is at heavyweight, so it's a little different, but I don't know. I'm still not impressed by Greg Hardy. I'm impressed with his power. His technique is still, as you said, raw, but the, the guy can punch. And uh, he put Maurice Green out and turned his lights out early in the second round. I wish he waited a, another minute. I know that you mentioned <laughs> over-unders, and this was the one I lost. I had, I had the over one and a half here. But, man, does Hardy pack a punch. I sometimes wonder if these guys beat themselves before they even get there. I remember I really thought that with Juan Adams. I remember thinking that with JDS versus Ngannou. I just, you see them where it's like when these guys have all these praise for being these absolute murderers, it seems like sometimes, and again, I can't even imagine stepping in the ring with Greg Hardy being across from me, but sometimes it feels like these guys beat themselves. And I, I know Mo Green protests the finish and whatnot. And, but yeah, I mean, Greg Hardy's a freak athlete, so we'll see. I, I, I hope he does well. I just – I always like to see the martial artists who practice the disciplines win versus the sheer athlete. This is now uh, for Mo Green. He's lost three of his last four. You know, he's a, a tough guy, a yeah. ultimate fighter guy. Where do you, do you think he sticks around much longer? I mean, I don't even really count Jan Vellante as a good win at heavyweight. I've never been a fan of Mo Green. I, I don't think his – I mean, he hasn't really had any sort of contest within the UFC that would make you think otherwise. And so it depends. Are they just trying – I mean, the light – or the heavyweight divisions is thin. So are they trying to just keep people on the roster and, and have a guy who's willing to step in there? Or are they really looking for the top of the top competition? And that's the question you really got to ask yourself. It's tough. I, I, I think I lean towards Mo Green kind of being done. I agree with you. Yeah. No disrespect to Mo Green. Again, grew up in Evanston, which is pretty cool, but – so then we move on to the co-main where we all did well. I think we all placed bets on it. We had Bryce Mitchell. This line was dangerously a lot closer to even than we all expected. I told you, fade, team, alpha, male. And I don't think I'm wavering on that stance at all. The team alpha male guy got out-wrestled. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't put that in more simpler terms. But Bryce Mitchell looked a lot better on, the, on his feet than – I really expected, and his takedowns were great, and his cardio was was pretty good too. I mean, I was worried yeah. about his cardio to wrestle for three rounds because he gets those subs so quickly and kind of starts playing with his food. But I mean, I'm, and I'm still worried about his cardio in if he makes the step from three to five rounds anytime soon. But yeah, man, what I a was, great win! I was really impressed with his entries. I Bryce Mitchell did a great job setting up those entries. And it every time he went in, he either had his hands locked or he automatically took the single leg and brought it right to the ground. I mean, I'm impressed with Bryce Mitchell. I knew we talked about it beforehand that he was going to be tough. But as much as I hate on Team Alpha Male and I hate on uh, Andre Feely, this wasn't an easy fight for him. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still impressed. It, it mm -hmm. just I don't think the line really did him justice. So we all cashed out there. That's nice. I, I believe I, a dream of mine is I'd love to see Bryce Mitchell and Ryan Hall square off. Oh, dude. I don't know if I want anyone to fight Ryan Hall. He's the least intimidating man of all time, but oh my God, can that man pick ankles? But I mean, the jujitsu the on, on display there would be phenomenal. You'd think that Bryce Mitchell's going to tap to an ankle lock. He's going to no, pull yeah, a Vinnie no, Magelheis no. and let him turn it all the way around and continue fighting. For sure. So we'll, we'll finish off here at the main event. Uriah Hall ended up finishing Anderson Silva in the fourth round, a minute and 24 seconds in via KO, TKO. Ton of respect shown after the fight. It, it is 
suspected that this is in fact Anderson Silva's last fight, last walk to the octagon. For us longtime fans, I know it's really tough to see a guy like Anderson Silva fall. I mean, he's an absolute warrior, but 45, it's a good time to hang up the gloves. Uriah Hall looked good to me, but I don't know. There's not much to take away from this. I, I just think this was more a, a fight for the legend that is Anderson Silva than it was for anything to mix up the rankings. Yeah, Uriah Hall did the same Uriah Hall game plan that we've seen. He kind of lulled Anderson to sleep, wait, took his time and landed that right straight. And with Anderson being over the age of 45 and Uriah still having that power, it was a recipe for a quick night. Yeah, wasn't really a surprising result. What was surprising to me, though, was this was another – I know we talk, brushed on over-unders. This is another over-under that was set at like four and a half and the over to be the favorite. So the finish was not mm-hmm. probable. This is the one I didn't play, but it ended up being the right idea, the under four yeah. and a half. Okay. So we just finished off recapping last week. Good fight night altogether, but, you know, I am sad about Anderson Silva leaving us. Absolute legend. Yeah. Two in a row. We could be even Anderson back-to-back weeks. It's, it's been tearjerkers. I know. Uh, if you had a Mount Rushmore of MMA, we lost half of it. Habib and, and Anderson. The only one left is John Jones, who also relinquished his belt within the last three. 2020 is fucked, man. I'm done. I'm going to start crying on camera. Let's move on. Is that fourth Arden, spot, real quick, is, is that is that fourth spot G, GSP or Mighty Mouse? Uh, or Fedor. I've got Mighty Mouse there. Oh, you're – okay. Well, that's Danny using his 125-pound weight class to give him more credit than deserved. And he's still I've, fighting at one championship. Okay. News and notes is next. So we only have two little tidbits of news and notes this week. One was the fact that, I mean, this is an Izzy podcast as far as the overall panel goes. I am obviously, we all know my stance at this point, but Izzy versus Jan Blahovich was talked about and rumored. Along with that came out a line, which we're all familiar with. I got to imagine that that line has a lot to do with the last time Jan Blahovich was matched up against a great kickboxer. A guy we'll get into tonight, Tiago Moretta uh, Santos. And that ended with Jan getting KO'd while Santos was on his back foot. Something that Izzy's prone to do. Um, Speaking of, that Izzy line hasn't moved since it opened. It's Izzy minus 250, Jan plus 210. Okay, 250, 210. So, yeah, I, the other news and notes that you could bring into this is the fact that Izzy said he's not going to bulk up for 205. Stay fast. Or like John Jones, yeah. He's going to kind of stay the same size and just, I guess, not cut weight. Which Precision makes... beats power, timing beats speed. <laughs> you know who said that? The infamous Connor fucking McGregor. That was the first news and notes. The second bit is that Tough 29 got announced. And, geez, I cannot believe there's 29 seasons of Tough. I feel old as shit. Even but... more if you include Brazil. Oh, God, I actually haven't seen many of those Brazil, but I know they've had some good people come off there. That might be something worth watching. They, is Another that, is, shout is that out in to Tiago Moretta Santos, who's got a – And uh, I think Paulo Costa. On his bicep. I think Paulo Costa, too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's a pretty cool – That's the, the whole show is amazing. I love Tough. I was worried they weren't going to bring it back. I know rating dropped. I blame Fox for that. People just don't watch cable. This season is going to be on ESPN Plus. And as you know, we all have that just to watch fights in the first place. They also are bringing on seasons one through 28. So for those of you who have ESPN Plus are not familiar with Ultimate Fighter, it's an unbelievable show, pretty much a reality show, giving out contracts. They all stay in the house. It's great. Some good seasons. GSP Koscheck was one of my favorites. 
the first season is all-time legendary. And the best part is going back. So many legends come out of it. Yeah. I mean, Nate Diaz, Tony Tony Ferguson. The one season that – Sente Luque, Kamaru Usman. The season that had TJ Dillashaw come out of it when he fought John Dotson. John Dotson won, but TJ Dillashaw Mm -hmm. Dotson. That season, the whole cast is contenders right now. Jimmy Rivera's on there. Dennis Bermudez, who's, I think, retired out of it. No, but he was a name for a while. The names age well. So you can go back, watch some old seasons, and you'll definitely know some fighters. But it's an absolute great show to watch. And obviously, as Dana White is prone to do, he just makes good television. So that was the news. It's going to be bantamweights and middleweights. So half bantamweights, half middleweights. And they would compete for two spots, one in bantam, one in middleweight. So we'll see. We haven't had the ultimate fighter for a little over a year now, I believe. So I'm excited to have this one back. And just a little bit of speculation on my part. I'm hoping that we either get the next title shot at 145, Volkanovski and either Ortega or Holloway, depending on how the UFC sees yeah. it. Or maybe, I know John Jones isn't busy right now. Maybe, maybe one, that guy. That's what I was going to say. The one, the one thing of note is usually when they have bantamweights or like a smaller weight class and a bigger weight class, they usually, not always, but usually have coaches of heavier weight classes because – how can a guy who's 145 teach him or help a middleweight in grappling? You know, they're going to ragdoll him. Because that 145-er was 215 when he played rugby. That, well, in, that, in that case, yes. Volk is an absolute massive man. But more than any other news, I know they showed a quick little promo clip, and that Ultimate Fighter clip got me jazzed. I was, I was getting ready to go. So I think that we're going to be knocking on the doors in Bristol, Connecticut, to be uh, ESPN Plus sponsored by the end of this oh, episode dude. here. Yeah, no free ads. So that's it for news and notes this week. So moving on to this week's prelim card. This is going to be at UFC Apex again on Saturday, November 7th, and it is going to be on ESPN Plus starting at 6 p.m. Central. So this is going to be a late card, it looks like, which is exciting. I love, I love them late cards. Starting off, we got Gustavo Lopez versus Anthony Perchak. So once again, I haven't plugged it yet, but you know it's coming if you've ever listened to this. Follow us over at Ankle Pick Pod on Twitter. One of the main reasons why is because when I tape, and I, I know Danny's similar, we either pick fights that we already know a little bit, or I personally work from the top down to make sure I get my main card figured out before this podcast. So by the time the fights come rolling around, I'll, I'll know the ins and outs of this fight, whether we lay a play or not will be yet to be determined, but that will be all found on Ankle Pick Pod on Twitter, along with our records, our picks going forward, ankle lock, and a ton of other crazy shit that we just tweet out drunk mid midway through the week. So that's always fun times. Moving on, we have a welterweight bout. Max Griffin versus Ramez Brahimaj. Max Griffin is That line's pretty close to even, by the way. 140 for Max Griffin, 120, plus 120 for Ramez. For Ramez. He's a... One and four in his last five UFC fights. So definitely on a skid. This one was his he's one Mike Perry. Was his one Mike Perry? No, that was that was uh so he's two and two and six in his last okay, or two okay. and four in his last six. Six but, okay. Uh the one was Zillim Imadaev. But he lost to Cowboy Oliveira. He lost to Alex Moreno. But he seems to be the king of split decision losses. Uh yeah, and, and honestly the king of decisions. All eight of Ramiz's professional wins are by sub, and most of, most of them are chokes. He's about to make his UFC debut out of a gym that I've talked a lot about, Fortis MMA, a gym that I used to love that I now almost try and fade. 
This guy's a, a former Nogi IBJJF champ. And it, but my thing is, I think he has questionable cardio. And as I was saying, Mac Griffin, the king of decisions, he hasn't been subbed eight years. I mean, that sounds right to me. They, ha- they also haven't given him a lot of submission specialists, if I remember correctly. I well, thought. the last time he's been finished was 2016, a guy, Colby Covington, who's probably not in a good place right now. <laughs> hey, you told me we can't talk about this. Keep, keep going forward. He got finished by Colby Covington, and, yeah, that was his last finish loss. A lot of splits, you're right. Some majorities. But I yeah. see Max Griffin eking out a decision here. It's- Which also says a lot to, 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 the, to the opponent because he lost to Curtis Millinder, who recently can't even buy a win in Bellator. He lost to Tiago Alves, who also is no longer in the UFC. He lost to Alex Morono, the great white, who I actually like, but he's definitely nothing to write home about. I get why you're saying Max Griffin. I don't know much about his opponent. He is making his UFC debut. He's a submission specialist that tends to gas. Um, The way he gets there isn't so much of like being technically sound at jujitsu. He loves his chokes and he kind of loves his weird entries to chokes, whether he gets a, um, I mean, a more standard guillotine or like a bulldog choke or like an arm triangle. The guy, the guy loves his chokes. If this guy can't sub Max Griffin, does he have any path of victory? I don't see it. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. So moving forward, we're on the featherweight bout. Darren Elkins versus Luis Eduardo Garigori. Garigori's fought a couple times in UFC. He's 13-1. and one. This is actually a time for me to chime in. This is one of the few picks that I actually already have locked in. I have three bets locked in already. Darren Elkins being one of them. I think that his wrestling is going to absolutely dominate. And I expect this to go to decision. And I expect Darren Elkins to absolutely just grind him out of the ground. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Reese and I talked a little bit. We considered this one for our lock of the week. Garagory is terrible takedown defense. Yeah. The one scary thing is Darren, the damage <laughs> I, with, with it across his chest. Damn. Darren, the damage, Elkins, is coming into this on a four-fight losing streak. And so you got to wonder where he is mentally. I mean, it's Ricardo Lamas, it's Volkanovski, it's Ryan Hall, and Nate Landwer. So it's, it's killers. But Nate, fuck Nate. Order Nate. Up. But yeah, you do wonder, but when you look at a guy like Darren Elkins, it's mental has gone out the window long ago. That man takes absolute damage. I'm not worried on that front. It's more just like, is he as skilled as we thought when he was winning those split decisions and getting those victories by marching through people and base kicking Mizrod Bektik? These are the questions. So continuing along, this one is one that I expect, I don't even know the line, but Alexander Romanov versus uh, Marcus Rodrigo de, de Lima. De Lima extremely, extremely underwhelms me, and I see his name, and I instantly just, like, my brain ticks and goes fade. Like, it's the only reaction I can think of. Romanov minus 350, so no value there. Maybe a parlay play. I hate parlaying heavyweights, though, because it's so anything can happen. That's This one's interesting because it was scheduled, I want to say, three, four months ago. And it came out as an even line. And then Rogerio de Lima backed out for COVID reasons. Romanov smashed Roque Martin or Martinez. And now he's a massive favorite. I, I agree with him being a massive favorite. And I actually like a play for Romanov inside the distance whenever that number comes out. Yeah. But it'll be that's the key is what's what's the number on that? It was super interesting to see the line move. But I do see Romanov being able to 
charge forward and put his ass on the mat and do with either a slam or a trip and then kind of just follow up with hammer fists and end this inside the distance. I'm inclined to agree with you. It's the line that causes me suspect. Continuing along, trucking along, we're, we only have two more left in these prelims, but this, this prelim card's uh, fatty. Giga Jakotsi's back in there, and he recently had a very impressive win that not a lot of people gave him. He was a rare underdog inside the UFC octagon to Omar Morales, giving him his first loss. So now he's got a guy named Jamie Simmons, and I'm assuming this is his UFC debut. It is. It is. So, so, yes. Yeah, Giga Giga's is- minus 525. Yeah, Giga is all the way up at 525. Jamie, as you mentioned, is making his UFC debut. He's got uh, three pretty quick finishes in his last three, uh, two TKOs and a rear naked choke. He comes from a D1 wrestling background. He actually used to wrestle at University of Iowa, but I don't see him being able to get or keep Giga on the map here. I think that Giga is going to style on him. He's going to use his karate. He's going to use his, his length. He's the taller fighter here. I actually expect a highlight real finish here for Geek. I know he hasn't been able to get finishes in his last couple fights uh, in the UFC. I think he's on a yeah, four he's a decision. decision. He's yeah. on a four decision streak, but I think that this is going to be the Giga Chikadze highlight real KO that he's looking for. That's the one thing that that you mentioned that I very much agree with. Giga is going to be able to use his his length to avoid that entry. And when you have a longer fighter who can strike at range, they're able to leave distance. And it's a lot harder to close that distance if you're a wrestler to secure the takedown. And I think that that's going to be a big advantage for him in this bout. That And in that Omar Morales fight, he looked good when Omar closed the distance and pushed him on the cage. He, he did. He's knowledgeable. He, he's not just a karate guy. He's decently well-rounded to and athletic enough to avoid getting on his back. So going on for the the nightcap of the prelim card, ending it off, this is one I'm really excited about. Trevin Giles versus Bevan Lewis. So the reason why I'm so excited about this one is Trevin Giles' last time out, if you guys don't remember, it was that really freak fainting accident in between his last time out. And I can't remember who he was set to face, but he fainted walking out to the octagon. And he was talking about how it had something to do with his heart or something. And so – Thank God he's okay, and he's been cleared to fight. You love to see that. But he's a guy who I personally have always kind of thought was a little sus, um, even losing to Zach Cummins, who I personally don't love, but also losing to Gerald Murchard, who I also – I mean, I actually like GM3 a little bit. But anyways, I, I don't – Trevor Giles is definitely an ability to, to lose this fight, and Bevan Lewis is a big, big guy and a very talented striker. He, I believe, was on the Tuesday Contender Series, not 100% sure, but he fought Uriah Hall. And that Uriah Hall fight, even though he got the loss that night because he got caught, he was dominating until the third round halfway through and he got caught. I mean, it was if it hit the scorecards, it was 30-27, 30-26. So I would imagine Bevin Lewis is the favorite, um, although albeit it might be slight. I, I, this is another one that I most likely will be on come fight night is Bevan Lewis versus Trevin Giles. I agree with you completely. I think I've mentioned it before. I was at, I was in the arena when Trevin Giles fought James Krause on short notice and got saved by one of the judges being his former coach. I, I scored that fight for James Krause on short notice at the wrong weight. I think that Trevin Giles should be 0-3 in his last three. This is an easy place I to agree. him with the line. The one thing 
the one thing is Bevan Lewis has predominantly fought strikers. And he's got five inches of reach, two inches of height, big, big, big guy. I mean, he's fighting Daquan Townstead, who, as we know, is most likely cut by now. He did fight Darren Stewart, who likes to wrestle, and he lost that decision. If Trevin Giles can take this to the mat, I think Bevan Lewis might be in some trouble. I just don't necessarily foresee it getting there. And we'll have more out, we'll have more answers later, but interesting that we're both on the same side there. So moving on to the main card, and this is when we bring in our producer slash fact checker slash country club athlete. Kobe, update us on main event challenge. Love to. This is my favorite part of the podcast, particularly because I'm in first place here, sitting with 150 points. Vegas last, is in first place here. Last Don't... week, pretty much across the board, we had success, except for one of our panelists in the main event challenge. I'm not going to knock him in particular because he did cash some tickets, and that's where the real money's made. But we have a new second place competitor, that's DK, with 124. A tie for third, just one point back between Reese and Max at 123 and riding on the coattails of your first place competitor is Parker with 119 and he's he's catching up to y'all how much how many points am I up on Pico de Gallo four points son of a bitch all right no more pussyfooting around your boy all islands will be victories from now on eyes ahead I'm ready to go eyes ahead Kobe I'm coming for you Vegas can't hide forever I agree I am Vegas Let's start it off then. So now we don't need to pick who gets to go where because none of us give a shit. With that being said, Dan, you go first. Kobe, you go second. And I'll take the nightcap, the fact that I've fallen so far. Starting off the card, it's Claudia Gedalia versus Jan Zainan. I mean, I know she's fought a – what's it? How? Xiaonan. Xiaonan. I actually had a dream last night that I was in China, but that didn't really help me just now. If that so, yeah. was racist, Kobe cut that. <laughs> um, yeah, so the way that I see this is Claudia, we know Claudia. I struggle or I worry about her cardio sometimes late in fights. We saw in, in the Angela Hill fight that she kind of wavered as, as the fight wore on and Angela was able to land more. And I think that Zhao Nan has some pretty good pressure striking moving forward and she should be busier. She should be able to land heavier. One thing of note specifically for Reese is Zhao Nan with that China connection is pretty friendly with Song Yudong and has actually been making trips to train at Team Alpha Male for this camp and has been definitely working on her her defensive wrestling with the guys there. Definitely a good camp for her and some good bodies and some good uh, sparring sessions. Fake news. Stop with that spread. Stop with that spread of fake news that alpha male is a good, a good help. Ask Andre Feely about that. I've got John on by decision. John, there we go. That's what we were waiting for. John on by decision. I'm taking Gedalia by decision. Shit on me. I am unfortunately, but also fortunately, because we can close the distance. I am on John on by decision as well. When we set the spread, I was pretty interested at where that line was set. And although apparently she stepped inside the cursed gym that is team alpha male to work on her wrestling, which is probably going to screw her. It was, it was less to work on her wrestling and more because of her connection with song Yudong, who's done a lot for Chinese MMA within America. Yeah. He's a beast. Actually. I'm a big fan of song. 
So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Jan. Kobe, do you have the picks from the others or are we going to have to post that later? I don't. They'll be posted. Where are they going to be posted, Reese? Thank you for asking, Kobe. They're going to be posted on Twitter at AnklePickPod, along with a ton of other funny business. We recently got retweeted by Marlins Man, True Story. Go on Twitter and fact check us. You'll find out. And we have a ton of nonsense going on there. So it's actually a fun time to join the community, chirp us, mainly Shiner, and just get in on the action. Yeah, so we'll have their picks posted on the graphic, our weekly graphic where we post our picks, our ankle lock, and our main event standings. Yeah, Speaking not that anyone... ankle lock. Yeah, speaking of the ankle lock, that was a makeshift jump roll. The next fight is Ian Heinish versus Brendan Allen. Yeah, I know that uh, Reese's hand is a little bit tipped after the set the spread episode. I'm also on Brendan Allen here. That's why it's our ankle lock. This is interesting because this mini rivalry actually dates back to their LFA days where they were scheduled to fight each other, and then Ian Heinish was called up. And Brandon Allen went on to become the LFA champ before being called up. Uh, I see him having a major ground advantage here. Also a slight size advantage. The one thing I worried about is his footwork and his game plan. Brandon Allen, who's usually a Rufus sport guy, has made the transition down to Sanford MMA. One of my favorite gyms. I talk about it a lot with Henry Hooft, whose game plan is second to only Trevor Whitman. And I, I, see, I see Allen getting it done. I'm going to go Allen by sub here just because I love my submissions. I'm also going Brennan Allen. Love riding your guys' ankle locks. Brennan Allen by strikes. Thank you for the support, Kobe, as always. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to pick up points there. But where I will be able to pick up points is I'm going to do it by de- – I'm going to do Brennan Allen, but by decision. I think that he's vastly superior on the ground. I think that he'll be able to keep it there and dominate it there. I just think that Ian Heinish is going to be a tough cookie to sub. I'll just never forgive myself if there's a sub and I didn't pick it. And, and you know what, Dan? I completely understand that. I understand that to its core. So trucking along, I think we're two fights in now. I'm feeling very confident about both these fights. And I mind you, I did mention on the two other fights that I most likely will be betting, this is the third. This is the big kahuna. This is the holy grail that is called betting. I'm going to take Brendan Allen, not by any sort of method, just at minus 110. I, I, if you watched the 0.5 episode, I actually set that line in the minus 200s in favor of Brendan Allen, which did not age well. When we do that show, it leaves us up for suspect. But I'm telling you guys, Brendan Allen, he's a lot younger, 24 as opposed to 32. But his skill set is vastly superior. And I think that Brendan Allen not only will have a significantly better career, but he'll also get this one done. So moving on, we got the bantamweight bout. Ronnie Barsolis versus Khalid Taha. I think I'm up again. Howdy Barcelos. He's undefeated in the UFC. Uh, this is a guy who I think has the skill set to be a contender. I wish he would stay more active as he's 35 years old. He's kind of running out of time. But he's as close to the full package as, as it comes with his Muay Thai and his BJJ. He's a lot of quality r- wins on his resume. And I actually think that Taha is a step down in competition from his last win of Saeed Nurmagomedov. Saeed is an absolute killer on the feet. And Ione was fine there. I I see Taha searching for the KO, and it's not going to find it. I think that Ione is just as good a chance as ending it by strikes as by sub. 
And as I mentioned a second ago, if there was a sub and I wasn't on the side of it, I would be rem- I would be remiss. So I'm going to go Hione Barcelos by sub. I'm also on Barcelos by sub. I want to go into some spiel and rant about how they're both wrong, but they are not. Danny, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I do wish he fought more frequently. That is Ronnie Barsolas. I think that he's an extremely talented fighter, but the clock is unfortunately running out for him. His last loss was six years ago, over six years ago, in April of 2014. He's beat, like Danny said, Saeed Namargamedov. And that for alone Alba, to me, Yeah, there's a lot Bobby of great Moffitt. Fights. Bobby Moffitt, these go back to his RMA, our RFA days, but even in the UFC, um, Chris Gutierrez, he just fights like maybe once a year, twice, or it looks like twice a year. So, and he had a couple, a year layoff in 2017. So it's hard to see a lot out of this guy. I just don't see Taha having any sort of path to victory in all honesty, other than a puncher's chance. I'm going to take Barsolas, but I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to do it by KOTKO. Moving forward, we have our picks in. We'll get the other guys to phone it in later. And we are on to the co-main event, boys. A heavyweight bout that saddens me because, as you know, last week, Anderson Silva got me all excited. And there's another guy, longtime Hall of Famer, Andre Orlovsky versus Tanner Bozer. Dan, I know where you're going. If you, did, if you listened to the .5 episode, you know where Dan's going. But, Dan, I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to speak to those listeners who only catch us on our main weekly one. Definitely. I mentioned a little bit that Arlovsky's on the wrong side of 40. We've been seeing our older guys, our, our legends, our fan favorites kind of get knocked out one by one, whether it's Robbie Lawler or, or uh, Anderson Silver recently. The older you get, it just doesn't suit you in this sport where they're trying to take your head off. Bozer's a contender. Bozer's a guy who's fast, he's athletic. I think he actually could make light heavyweight if he tried, but he's a very fun prospect. He's definitely going to have the speed advantage, as I mentioned, but I'm actually going to surprise you, Reese, here. I think I'm going to go Bozer by decision, not TKO. That is is surprising. And the reason is, after rewatching that Philippe Linz fight or Philippe Linz fight versus Andre Olovsky, he looked fast, he looked quick, and, and he ate some. Heavy, heavy leather. I don't see Tanner Bozer being able to put him out, even though I love Tanner Bozer and I love his speed. I'm sticking to my guns, Bozer strikes. I hate to say it, but I'm going Bozer and I'm riding Kobe by strikes as well. Again, like Dan said, Arlovsky's just on the wrong side of 40, and you see it pay dividends too many times over and over again. Sad to say, I hate doing it. I hated doing it. I Actually, last week, I think I suckered into picking Silva, so... This time I've learned my lesson. Main event, another guy I believe is on the wrong side of 40 or very damn close in Clover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos. DeMarini, the murderer himself who quote-unquote lost a split decision. I don't know who I'm quoting, but he lost a split decision to John Jones, but everyone kind of thinks he won with no ligaments in his leg. Dan, with all that entry, take it away. Yeah, you mentioned that he had a gruesome knee injury. I myself is a I'm a sympathizer with guys who have ACL replacements. I agree. I've also had an ACL replacement. I sympathize with Tiago Moretti here. Uh, I do see him winning the first and maybe the first half of the second round, maybe the whole second round. Going back to that Lionheart Glover fight, Lionheart was almost piecing him apart on the feet before he got tired. 
That being said, this is a five-round fight. And Glover loves to take people to deep water. He loves to try and drown you. He loves when you get tired. The five-round fight favors Glover. The other thing is Glover um, has, has brought in, I think he's in either Connecticut or Delaware, and he's training with Alex Pereira, who for my money is a top two, top three kickboxer in the world. And I don't think – we previously mentioned him on a couple episodes ago. He's the last guy who turned Israel Adesanya's lights out. He's beat Izzy twice in kickboxing and knocked him out once. Alex Pereira is a – he's a baller. This dude is absolutely as good of a kickboxer as it comes. You're training for Tiago Santos. This is the guy to train with. I'm going to surprise a lot of people here. I love Glover Teixeira at the price he's at. I think that it's a plus 200 right now around. I love double your money for him here, especially coming off the long layoff for Tiago, especially coming off the gruesome injury and the major surgery. I'm going to go Glover Teixeira by sub. I love that, Dan. Way to take a dog. Respect the shit out of it. Kobe, we're against the clock. Go ahead. Not going to take the dog. I'm going to take Santos by strikes. DK Teixeira plus 206. You can get him at right now. I like that Dan sticks with his underdog guns. The one thing is that Tiago Santos is throwing absolute cinder blocks that he calls hands. And with that being said, I'm expecting a first round KOTKO, potentially drifts into the second. If it goes past that, Dan's a winner. I just don't see it going past that. So with that being said, I'm going to take Santos by strikes. Thank you all for tuning in to episode 18. We literally love all the support we're getting. We're continuing to grow week over week. We're continuing to get followers on Twitter week over week, and we just enjoy growing this community and having a good time with you guys and making some fucking money, some green cheddar. Dan's Speaking got of it. making fucking money, these guys, these two cabbers are 13 units in the green over the past three weeks between the two of them. So tune Don't in miss to, out. Tune in to us on Twitter at AnklePickPod, and let's make some cash. Let's do it. Nothing I hate more than a bookie. Let's kill them together, boys. Cue the music. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.